I just suddenly realised that even in gynaecology, we don't really talk about the menopause uh, and the impact on us as healthcare professionals. Hello and welcome to the Medical Women podcast, the world's first podcast aimed at supporting and empowering medical women in their careers. I'm Dr. Nuthana Bayankaram, and it's my honour and joy to be your host as each week we speak to a fantastic guest who's here to help us in our careers. I'm Vice President of the Medical Women's Federation, the largest body of women doctors in the UK and the voice of medical women on medical issues. Join us as each week we hear about a topic that's helpful for all of us in our careers. Hello everyone, I hope you're well. Welcome to the second episode in our mini-series on women's health. And you might be able to tell from my voice that I've um, had a bit of a bad cold and cough the last few days. I think I think flu caught me before I managed to get my jab. So I hope everybody has managed to get their flu jabs because there's definitely a lot of viruses about at the moment, aren't there? Um, but I hope you enjoyed last week's episode which was the first in our women's health series, all about how we can support ourselves during our menstrual cycles and optimize our fertility. And if you missed that, definitely catch up. This week, we're speaking about menopause. And the 18th of October is World Menopause Day. So this is the perfect time for us all to be talking about menopause. But really, when it affects 51% of the population, we should be spending a bit more time talking about menopause. And I'm recording this fresh after I've been to a women's health strategy event. Um, And I'm really excited. I'm going to be working on sustainability, the sustainability aspect of the women's health strategy. Um, But I discovered quite a lot of very interesting facts about menopause um, from data from NHS England. So 400,000 women enter perimenopause each year in England alone. One in 20 experience severe symptoms. Three in 10 experience bothersome symptoms. One in 10 women leave their job. One in 10 reduce hours and or take a lower level role. Many feel they become less productive and effective in their roles. One in three women are not diagnosed for at least three years. One in 10 visit primary care 10 plus times before diagnosis. One in five visit five to 10 times, one in two visit two to five times. One in three are wrongly prescribed antidepressants. Three in 20 are wrongly referred to non-menopause secondary care. Many clinicians aren't skilled up or knowledgeable on menopause. Women feel unable to access the help they need. And when they do access help, they feel that they're not listened to. They feel ignored, dismissed, and not taken seriously. And the NICE guidance doesn't seem to be followed because the NICE guidelines for menopause are one of the least visited pages on the NICE website, which is interesting because 51% of the population will go through menopause. So really, it should be one of the most visited guidelines. Now I have to say, I felt that I didn't actually really know that much about menopause. Maybe it's because I'm a paediatrician and we don't come across it that much. Although of course, 
there are certain children where you do have to think about premature menopause. But um, I think just in general, speaking to a lot of my colleagues, there's there, there isn't that that much knowledge about menopause. And if I look back on medical school, you know, I didn't leave medical school that long ago. It was only a few years ago. Um, but at medical school, we didn't learn anything about menopause or there was like one lecture or a couple of slides. It's covered, you know, one hour in six years of medical school. Um, actually, if we look through kind of men menopause on the medical school curriculum, it's barely covered. And 51% of the population are going to go through menopause and it's a big thing. And really, regardless of what specialty we're in, whether we're men or women, people in our lives are going to be going through menopause. So it's really important that we know about it. And particularly as women doctors, at some point in our lives, we are going to be going through menopause. And I would quite like to know all about it before I need to, quite frankly. Uh, and I'm sure lots of you would too. So that's why I wanted to do not just one, but two episodes on this. And actually, I don't think that's enough. I think you could really do a whole series on menopause because there's so much to cover. But we've got two episodes. And this week's guest is Catherine Gale, who was previously a, a nurse in the NHS. And as Catherine described, she, she ended up leaving her job and it turned out that it was due to menopause symptoms. And so she became really passionate to make sure that nobody else leaves their job because of this. And as I just said in the stats, one in 10 women end up leaving their jobs because of menopause. And I think in not just in medicine, but in every sector at the moment, there's probably crises, um, workforce crises. We don't want to be losing women in the workplace anywhere. So it's really important that, that we know about this. And so Catherine um, now has this fantastic community called Flux State, and she supports women through menopause. So in this episode, Catherine is going to be taking us through what, what exactly is defined in menopause, how do we diagnose it, how do we manage it? And then next week's episode, We've got Dr. Louise Newsom, who is a GP and menopause specialist, and she'll also be speaking about how to manage and support women through menopause. So I hope that you find both of these episodes really, really helpful, and please share them with anyone you know who would find them helpful. And for all those who are innovators and entrepreneurs, as Marianne will say in, in her intro that we've got coming up as well. Um, it's really, really important that this is an area that's thought about because 51% of the population go through menopause and it seems to be a bit of an afterthought for everybody. So let's, let's start making it a proper thought and coming up with innovations and things to help women through menopause. Enjoy the episode. So this week it's World Menopause Day and so of course the topic that we're speaking about is menopause and this is the first of two episodes where we're speaking about menopause. So Marianne, why why did why do you think that this is an important topic for us to speak about? So at Health Innovation Kent Surrey and Sussex, we have a women's health strategy and one of the key areas that we really want to make an impact on is menopause. 
Um, we know that it's an area that is significantly um, underfunded. And we know that it has, you know, a huge impact on people's, on women's lives um, across health. And I think that that's for those who are working with the, within the NHS and also uh, the people that we serve within our communities in terms of how they're able to access treatment uh, and, and management in the community settings. So I think it's a really important topic for us to, to be um, hearing today. And I really hope that we go away with enhanced awareness and understanding of what menopause is and, and how we might be able to um, think about that in how we manage our patients in the community. Absolutely. And I think people will find both of these episodes really, really helpful. So it's wonderful today to have with me Catherine Gale. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. It would be really lovely if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Oh, thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. Any opportunity to talk about women's health, I'm in. So I'm, <laughs> I am a mother, I'm and a wife, and I am also a nurse. And I'm perimenopausal and I have been a nurse now for 30 years and I am the founder of Flux State and I work uh, outside of the NHS now, but I'm very committed to supporting the health of female employers who work in the NHS around women's health. So I uh, started my journey way back uh, 30 years ago because uh, I really found it fascinating how our bodies work. And so I'm all about uh, educating women about their bodies so they understand how they work and also understanding their minds. So really paying attention to what's normal within their bodies, uh, helping them to get the information they need to make decisions on how they want to manage their, their health. And with that comes, when we've got empowered women, we also need healthcare professionals who really understand women's health in order to, to enable us to help them. Wonderful. And were you, when you were working as a nurse, was it in women's health? 30 years in women's 30 health. 30 years, yeah. wow. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to hear a bit more about your your journey to, to kind of what then led, led you to setting up Flux State. Mm, yeah, so uh, I set up Flux State uh, two years ago and Flux State is my company where I have a community of 2.5 thousand women in Facebook um. and uh, supporting them to understand the signs and symptoms of the perimenopause, understand the variety of uh, treatments that are out there, empowering them to ask for what they need. And whether that is they want to look at herbal remedies, whether they want to do cognitive behavioural therapy, whether they want to do HRT, it really doesn't matter to me. What matters is that they have all the information they need to make a decision. And so that's where I started two years ago. And um, I set up my business in order to offer coaching um, for women around the menopause. But I also coach female healthcare uh, leaders uh, to stay in uh, work because we've got a huge number of women who are leaving. I left the 
NHS at 40 the first time round. Um, so I was 40. I was the mum of a small toddler. I had life limiting anxiety um, as a matron. Uh, I was managing a team of 70 staff and to everybody else I looked like I was really thriving in that role but I was barely barely surviving and I was not sleeping at night I had really bad insomnia and that was leading to some utter fatigue and I was uh, had been through fertility treatment so it was a very uh, wanted little boy that came into our life but I hadn't realized that there just wasn't enough time and energy for me as a wife for me as a nurse for me as a mother and let alone to really look after my own health and well-being and to do the job that I wanted to do which I've been really passionate about doing for, for the whole of my career and so I walked out it would be three years before I got my first hot flush. And so those three years were me working in the independent sector, uh, working in private clinics, working in GP practices, doing some education, anything I could do to get that balance right so that I could look after my health and well-being and also, you know, look after my son and, and um, spend time as a family. And so it, I used a combination of antidepressants for uh, my anxiety. I did CBT. Um, I had counselling and I had some coaching. It was my first experience of coaching. And all of that enabled me to keep working in some capacity. But once I had that hot flush, it was like a light bulb went off. Here I was, women's health nurse, um, for over 20 years, and I hadn't spotted the signs. And I just felt like if I hadn't spotted the signs and I wasn't aware that anxiety could be or, or low mood could be one of the first symptoms you get, the insomnia, the fatigue, then how else was anybody else going to spot these signs? And I just really felt like I didn't want anyone else to walk out on their job. I felt if somebody had asked me when I was crying in the GP services, you know, could this be the perimenopause? If one of my colleagues, you know, working in a gynae department had said, do you think this could be the perimenopause? Maybe I would have started HRT earlier. Maybe I wouldn't have walked out of my job, but then maybe I wouldn't have set up Flux State and be helping all these thousands of women to join up the dots about what's going on for them, look at how they want to navigate the menopause and then ask for what they need to support them wow so much in in what you said there and yes I'm it would have been great if you didn't have to go through that but um but it's wonderful that you've used that experience to set up flux state and prevent other women having to leave work for those reasons so that's a beautiful segue into it's like we planned it to speaking about perimenopause and I'd love if we could speak about actually what is perimenopause and and what are signs and symptoms for people to look out for and the reason that I asked that question is because I don't actually think it is very well defined in society and we don't really speak about it um, and our listeners range from medical students all the way up to retired doctors so some people will 
think, oh, I'm very familiar with what the signs and symptoms are, but others won't. And we all work in different specialties. Our patients are all of different ages. But um, as you said, just before we started recording, that anyone who deals with women needs to know about women's health. But I also think it's not just for our patients. We need to know about it for ourselves as well, because we need to, and I've only really started to appreciate uh, appreciate this over the last couple of years, that unless we look after ourselves, we can't look after anybody else and we can't do our we can't do our jobs effectively. So so I'd love if if we could hear a bit more about what perimenopause is. Yeah, sure. I think before we um, define perimenopause, we need to look at the definition of menopause because menopause is a retrospective diagnosis. So once a woman has gone through 12 months of no periods, then we say that moment in time is the menopause. And we often talk about postmenopause, you know, those years afterwards where a third of our life is spent postmenopausal we don't often talk about the perimenopause. And that's because it is difficult to define, you know, so, and as healthcare professionals, we like a test, we like a range, and we like to say no or yes. (laughs) And then we get 34, at least 34 signs and symptoms of the menopause. And they range from physical to psychological, to some weird and wonderful ones and some more intimate symptoms. So uh, having an awareness of all of those is really important because we often talk about the hot blushes and the night sweats, but we very rarely do we talk about the panic attacks that suddenly start, the low mood, the the impulsive suicidal thoughts that some of the women that I support talk about that um, those symptoms and signs of changes to our skin, changes to our eyes, uh, the dryness in our eyes, the itchy ears, the, you know, the dry vaginas, the more recurrent urinary tract infections, the, the joint pain. I had a frozen shoulder and never put that down to the menopause. But actually, it's much more common for us to see uh, orthopedic surgeons around midlife. So perimenopause is this period of time where we might get irregular periods and we might start to get some of these signs and symptoms. And this is because of a fluctuation in our estrogen, our progesterone and our testosterone levels. And the reason that um, we've got these fluctuations is that our ovaries are becoming less um, um, reactive to the hormones as we become have less and less um, eggs. And therefore, one month we may ovulate and another we may not. And so as we have extended or shortened cycles, so will be the intensity and severity of some of those symptoms. So I hear lots of women saying, well, at the moment I'm okay. And then last week, oh my God, the rage I had leading up to my period was just intolerable. Um, So it's this that makes it really difficult for women to spot what's going on and join up the dots because they are some weird and wonderful symptoms they might have one month it's really intense another doesn't seem so bad so yes there are blood tests we can the nice guideline is very clear about blood tests are really useful under 45 um but we mustn't think of 
perimenopause is just in those 40s and early 50s. Actually, one in 100 are under 40. So we've got to be aware that when we talk about midlife, when we're talking about perimenopause, that can come a lot earlier than midlife. It can come in our teens, our 20s and our 30s, as well as most commonly uh, between 45 and, and 55. So I hope that covers it a little bit. But uh, I think for me, it's that question. Keeping in mind, could this be the perimenopause is the most helpful thing because it keeps us curious about what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really helpful. And I guess my next question is, if we think it is, then as you say, there are tests that we can do, but that's mainly for, mainly for women over 45 under 45 yeah under 45 okay yeah and over 45 nice guidelines are really clear it's just not helpful we go on symptoms and symptoms alone and the nice guidelines are being reviewed this summer so we hope for a little bit more guidance around that um but yeah over 45 symptoms alone but for any woman the best thing you can do is cycle track Mm-hmm. and monitor your symptoms and see what symptoms are coming up and look for patterns um so you know cycle tracking for, for me it should something that all women we should encourage to do whether you're in your you know teens 20s or, or your 40s that's really helpful and yes this is where it all comes through that I'm a pediatrician because I've not spoken to, to people about menopause for years but that's partly why I wanted to do these episodes so um yeah yes um and I'm on the I, at the I moment to so do a... I'm definitely not talking about menopause at all <laughs> no but there are some centers around the UK I used to work in one in Bristol where we would see uh, a in a paediatric gynae um, clinic, we would see people who um, had primary amenorrhea, so no periods uh, at all, and they've gone straight into into the, the menopause. So it's really important that we spot uh, that we have a knowledge of women's health about what's yep. normal. That it's sixteen, we should be getting our periods, for example, and if not, we need to investigate. Um, so you know. Um, important for anyone who's who's caring for women to be you know inquire about cycles yeah absolutely and definitely with with teenagers or children that are kind of an appropriate age I I definitely Mm do it's um yeah with being on neonates at the moment it's uh (laughs) thinking (laughs) about it at all um but you know I think that just highlights that it's important for all of us in all specialties to to understand about it and of course, one day in the future, I've got all this to look forward to. So I might as well start learning about it now. So if we then, you know, either we've done the the tests for women who are under 45 or we've got the symptoms in women who are over 45, what what do we do then next for managing perimenopause? Yeah, it's to talk. I, I always say it's what someone's, what are their issues that they're struggling with? You know, what are the key things? Um, what are their concerns? And then what are their expectations from us? It, you know, 
is the first thing because quite often we can say oh oh gosh right you're perimenopause hrt um but actually what we we've got to do is the bit in in before that what are their concerns about the menopause what are their concerns about fertility contraception um and and concerns about hrt and only when we address those things then we can work out you know what their expectations are from us because some people may just want reassurance they're not going mad Mm. Uh, and that was me uh, you know that's what I thought when I walked out on the job that I was going mad and that I was always going to be like this and you know antidepressants certainly helped me get some clarity and manage my anxiety and to this day I still take them I use a very much a combined approach so the cognitive behavioral therapy which I'm trained in and, and deliver the antidepressants and HRT so you know each of us are very different. So understanding that, that there's not one, you know, um, answer, one treatment for every woman. It's very much what are their concerns? What are their expectations? What are their issues? And how can we help them to make a decision? And with the women in your community that you support, Catherine, are there like common themes that you see coming up? Yes, um, common themes are the psychological things like low mood and uh, anxiety, most definitely. Um, When I start to talk to women on a one-to-one, they may share their thoughts, uh, suicidal thoughts. And unfortunately, suicide is um, unfortunately more common in women around midlife, that sense of hopelessness and helplessness. So that that's one of the things. The other things are sleep, exhaustion, brain fog. I, and we call those sort of domino symptoms. You know, one knocks into the other. You know, if you don't sleep well, then your cognitive function the next day is impacted, which leads to anxiety, which knocks into your confidence and self-esteem at work. Um, So if we can go back and and look at sleep, sleep is such an important thing. And things like the cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia, um, sleep, good sleep hygiene, those are just as important um, in helping people manage the issues they have around perimenopause as cognitive behavioural therapy, pure cognitive behavioural therapy, you know, uh, herbal remedies or or, um, HRT. And I think what strikes me and particularly why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because we don't really talk about these things that often. And I I wonder if you could speak a little bit about how we can, because, you know, with the work that you do with with employers, I wonder if we can speak a bit about how you kind of encourage these sorts of conversations. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I did go back into the NHS. I went back in as a nurse consultant once I started HRT and absolutely loved it. Felt like I got all the tools to support my health and well-being. Was talking to women about abnormal um, bleeding around the menopause usually and um, talking to them about HRT. And I just suddenly realised that even in gynaecology, we don't really talk about the menopause Uh, and the impact on us as healthcare professionals. And so I came up with this idea that I really felt that um, we needed to address this. So I started running some menopause cafes in my own organisation. And then I had a conversation with somebody saying, I can't believe there's not much research 
um, into, you know, the working lives of menopausal women working in the NHS. And they encouraged me to apply for funding and I managed to secure um, 18 months of funding to do some qualitative and quantitative research. And with the whole you know, uh, intention of working within my organisation to say, look, this is what the women in the organisation are struggling with. This is what they want. And this is how we can help them because no woman should leave her job because of a normal life event. Um, Then COVID hit. (laughs) And so all research got um, stopped for you know the the two years um and so I'm just analyzing that data now but I continue to work with that organization and other organizations in my through um flux state so I provide training for uh, menopause advocates or uh you know real menopause warriors uh people who can be those people who are not uh, stigmatized by talking about menopause are not worried about the taboo around that are not experts but are good at signposting can hold that space for for a conversation around it and I also uh, deliver some training uh, for managers in how to manage the menopause of those that you work with and that um has gone really, really well. We've just run a, a program which is now um, a train the trainers program. So I've trained ten uh, managers to then go on and deliver that training within the organisation, and I and I hope that more uh, NHS trusts will will take that on because I really feel the clinical credibility aspect to menopause is really important too. That yes, any of us can hold that space, any of us can be an advocate, any of us can signpost, but they also need to make sure that the information is evidence-based is uh, based in reality of what we can get it from NHS providers because one of the hardest things I hear in my group is that once women have made a, a decision it's then hard to get what they want and what they need whether that's because um you know we're much much more comfortable prescribing antidepressants than we are HRT, uh, whether that's because we haven't got enough women's health um, uh, specialists working in primary care. And I now um, train um, practice nurses uh, to encourage them in their confidence around talking to women about it, prescribing HRT so that we can get that started, even if they're not, you know, menopause experts, they've still got a knowledge where they can start to talk to women about it so um there are many aspects to the work I do but it all comes from a place of do you know what I don't want to be that one person who sits in my menopause clinic within the NHS talking to women about HRT advocating you know them having HRT prescribing it for them and never seeing them again, I feel I can have a much greater impact on the outside if I share some of the knowledge and experience I have to enable more people to be more confident to talk about this, um, to share their own menopause stories, to advocate for others they work for, to support those we work with. Um, and so I really hope to be sharing my research um, findings uh, shortly. Well, that all, that all sounds sounds wonderful. And I think, as you say, it's, you know, us as one person, we can make change, but it has a much bigger impact if we 
if we then empower other people and then there's other people also making that change so I think it's wonderful and and I hope that more more NHS services will start having these conversations um, I'm interested to, to hear about you know when you have those conversations with employers generally is it quite well received and do they kind of take on board what you say or um, is there any like resistance to, to speaking up about this? So the Women's Health Strategy came out last year for England, which is really puts a encourages employers to look at women's health in the workplace, which is fantastic. Scotland released their um, strategy the year before. Wales has just done a discovery um, document on what women want in Wales and the strategy will come on uh, following that, which I've uh, contributed to. So I think we are where we were if we think back 20 30 years about pregnancy and work and an employer's responsibility if you then come 10 years ago and we think about mental health um it does fit into the you know the diversity and inclusion aspects uh, i hear from employers they like oh my goodness it's getting wider and wider what we have to cover within that we go back to the NHS and recognise that 77% of us are female, that for over 40% of us are in the, that range of 45 to 55, and we've got a problem with retention. You know, and more women are leaving around that age, uh, similar to the, the, the in the numbers that we're losing at the beginning of careers in the healthcare. We've got to do something. Mm-hmm. We've got to do something. And actually, um, you know, it's more than a tick box. You know, we can put, I, you know, policies are fantastic. So we can get a policy in place, but it's what we do to empower people to start talking about it. Um, and because if women, and at the moment, women don't share why they're off sick. So NHS England has got a system on the electronics. So not everyone, of course, works in the NHS. I've got to recognise that the independent mm-hmm. sectors, GPs. But NHS England have produced a document around uh, supporting people around menopause in the workplace. Uh, they've also got on the electronic um, uh, records of the absence, reasons for absences, you can put menopause. So it's that's fantastic. But what we know from the research is people who are experiencing these symptoms, one, they might not have joined up the dots that it's menopause. Two, they might not want to talk about it. Three, if they talk about it, we've got to know what we can do to support them. So, yes, reasonable adjustments are really helpful. But like I said, each individual will be dealing with different issues, will have different concerns and different expectations. And so there's so much more occupational health can do but we need to be looking at what services are provided uh, by GPs as well building um, looking at nice guidance around what was available from one area to another refocusing on you know healthy living it's so important in the NHS if I look back you know how I missed meals how we worked late the shift work that you know not feeling the energy to to exercise all of that is important so actually when I talk to employers I talk about what have you already got that we can signpost women to and if there's anything it's about normalizing conversations signposting and if you're not comfortable as a manager to support someone having someone who is Mm -hmm. 
um, there. But also recognizing that some women may struggle to get HRT. So I'm now working with organizations um, to see if we can offer something in-house for, um, so I have an independent menopause service that I'm opening up. Um, so looking at whether we can have something within services to help them get the treatment that they need, whether that's CBT or whether that's HRT. Oh, well, it's amazing what you're doing, Catherine. So thank you. And I have no doubt that you will continue to, to keep championing so much of, of these really important changes. I know it's hard to, to fit in the whole of perimenopause or menopause within one episode, but it's been a really, really helpful introduction to get us to start thinking. So thank you so much. I've just got some quick fire questions for you now, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So the first one, and I should probably stop asking this question because um, because I keep buying loads of books and it's not very helpful <laughs> to stop if I keep asking people for book recommendations. But I wonder whether you could share one or two books that you would recommend for our listeners to read. They don't have to be anything to do with menopause, but they could be to do with menopause. Oh, anything by Brené Brown. That's mm-hmm. just got to get in there. Her Dare to Lead, showing, you know, vulnerability, um, you know, taking accountability, being brave and curious, I think um, is what the NHS needs right now. Um, so I think anything by Brené Brown, but definitely Dare to, Dare to Lead is is definitely my favourite go-to book. Amazing. Um, I don't know if I've got that one. Uh, I think I've got Daring Greatly which I haven't actually yeah. read yet. Um, that's on my to-read list. I've read The Gifts of Imperfection. Oh, um, but yes, book. everything yeah. by her is is amazing. And I did invite her to come on the podcast and received a very polite decline because she's so busy, which is fair enough. Well, you'll be on her podcast one day. That's what I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I love that. Yes, I will. That'll go on, on my action board. Um <laughs> My next question is, is there anything you know now that you wish you had known earlier on in your career? Ah, it's so interesting. I feel I need to to share that at 28, a nurse consultant job description was put out in the department I worked at and I had an opportunity to go for it. I thought I was too inexperienced and there'd be somebody with more experience out there. It was the days when you emailed to say, I'm interested in a job. And then we emailed out the job description. 40 people across the country got the job description and no one applied. And the funding got pulled and the job never got advertised again. It would take me 14 years, longer, maybe more, 16 years, until another opportunity came up for me to apply for a nurse consultant post. Um so to be brave, I am enough and uh, strong enough and resilient enough to make a difference. And if I believe in myself, just imagine what I could achieve is what I would say to myself at 28. Thank you for, for sharing that. Have you ever been given any advice that's been really helpful that you would wish to share? with our listeners yeah um you know setting up my own business uh has been nerve-wracking for somebody who has anxiety (laughs) um so you know that reminder 
that my body doesn't know the difference between, you know, fear or anxiety and excitement. And that feeling I have inside of me when I'm about to be brave, when I'm about to, you know, step out my comfort zone, become more visible is, is actually that's, I call it nervously excited now. And it enables me to, yeah, grow and be bigger and do more and achieve more and make a bigger difference. And that for me um, has, has changed the way I view my anxiety. That's so beautiful. Thank you. And my last quick fire question is a question that I'm borrowing from a group of children and young people that work with the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health. And they asked this question when they were interviewing people for the role of president. And it's the best question ever. So I asked if I could borrow it and they very kindly said yes. So the question is, if you were a type of biscuit, what type of biscuit would you be and why? Uh, I would have be a Jaffa cake because is it a biscuit or is it a cake? And I think also you've got that sweetness on the outside, the soft inner centre, and then the nice surprise of the sponge underneath. So I think the more I think about it, yeah, Jaffa cake. Yeah. Great choice. What I love about this question is that so we've had previous Jaffa cake on here, or maybe previous Jaffa cakes, um, but nobody's given the same reasons. And so it's really nice that even though we get the same biscuit sometimes, it's totally different reasons. It's such a such a clever question, as yeah, always. Really good. Beautiful. Yeah, but as always with children coming up with questions, they always ask the best questions. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for sharing your story and everything that you do and your experiences. It's it's been so lovely speaking to you oh thank you so much for having me and just a reminder that you know if you are caring for women 51 percent of the population uh, then they will be going through normal life events that will be impacting their health and well-being so whether that be menstrual health miscarriage fertility or menopause so all of us need to understand that women's health is our business absolutely thank you so much Thank you so much for listening to the Medical Women podcast. Make sure to subscribe for free on whichever podcast platform you listen on so that you automatically get our episodes. The aim of this podcast is to support and empower as many medical women in their careers as we possibly can. So please share this episode with at least one other medical woman. If you're interested in joining the Medical Women's Federation, we would love to have you. And all links to our website and social media are in the show notes. This podcast has been produced on behalf of the Medical Women's Federation by Dr. Nathana Bayankaram and Ms. Jenna McKenzie. Our music was composed and played by Dr. Keith Bayankaram. Thank you so much for listening.